Well, good morning. Sure missed you guys. Oh, that sounded sincere, didn't it? Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> a couple of things I will talk about a little bit about last weekend, but I, I wanted to mention this because I, I've said this before, and um, and and I, I I just really believe that the when when President Trump was running first time and he was elected, his big statement was he was going to drain the swamp. Right, he kept saying I'm gonna drain the swamp. I think what he meant by that was more about um, dealing with the pedophilia that is in Washington than, uh, you know, the politics and the corruption of money and things like that. And he obviously meant that stuff, too. And the FBI, uh, obviously, that was kind of a hint at that time. But now we know the FBI is horribly corrupt. I mean, there's a bunch of things going on in Washington that need to be changed. But I think he was actually talking most about um, human trafficking and pedophilia. Well, this week, there was um, the, the Pentagon's head of education, which was uh, uh, appointed by Biden. The Pentagon's head of education was arrested for human trafficking. Um, that's another way to say they were selling children um, for, to be sex slaves. That's what that means. Okay, they use the word human trafficking to kind of nice it up a little bit, but they're, they're selling little kids is, is what that means. And this is, this is the, one of the top positions in the Pentagon. Uh, D.C. Is, is, is corrupt with pedophilia. It is so thick with pedophilia. That and, and uh, Hollywood. In fact, the uh, Sound of Freedom movie, it, it took them five or six years before they could actually get it out to the public because they were being fought on every single level. And one of the things that they, they did with the Sound of Freedom movie is they kept it uh, to overseas stuff, not American stuff, because they were pressured so much. But believe it or not, the most, the, the heaviest amount of um, uh, pedophilic uh, um, child porn, stuff like that, is in the United States. Around the entire world, the United States has the highest uh, percentage of that. And the, the most amount of sex trafficking that happens is in the United States. It's not like the, the Sound of Freedom, great movie, you need to watch it, but, but that focused on, on other parts of the world, South America and places like that. But uh, that's not where it's the worst. It's, I mean, it's all over the world, but it's in America the worst. And, uh, and the, the Sound of Freedom guys have been talking about doing one that deals with uh, America. And uh, you think it was difficult for them to get Sound of Freedom out, wait until, wait until that happens. So, so um, I, I also wanted to mention some of the stuff about last session. I don't want to take a long time, but I do want to mention some things. Uh, so we, we started on Friday last week, and we went through Monday night. Um, the... All the, I've read a bunch of the stuff, uh, the Denver Post and some of the TV. I saw that I actually turned on. I never watched TV news. Um, I actually turned on local TV news and see what they said about it. All of the online people, everybody was basically saying the same thing. And it's not even worth mentioning because it was a big pack of lies. 
uh, we didn't accomplish anything in that special session. Wasted four days of my life for nothing. In fact, what we did is we passed a bunch of socialist stuff that added money to the budget, hired a bunch of people, started some task force, but didn't actually help one person with property tax for one penny. Now, one of the things they, that they did do was uh, they, they passed a, another, it was Prop HH, basically. It wasn't that much difference, and they passed it through the House. But, like I told them, I'll tell you, um, I said this during second readings and third readings, is this is not constitutional, and I will challenge it constitutionally. I've already got a um, couple of groups that are going to help me do this legally, that we're going to challenge that bill constitutionally, because it basically took from Tabor, okay? They're not allowed to take from Tabor. That's what Prop H, H all, most, if not all of you, should have been all of you, voted against Prop H, H and that they can't touch Tabor. But then they came in, and they tried to pass a law, well, they did pass a bill, um, that was signed by the governor that basically took $240 million out of Tabor. And so that's illegal. It's not constitutional. You voted against it. And so I made sure that they knew I was challenging this on a constitutional, uh, it's called a constitutional challenge. Um, some of you heard that, <clears throat> that that really was a no-brainer. It's not like I did something special there. That was just, uh, you can't do it, okay? Um, I mean, it didn't make them happy, but I did say that as many times as I could. Uh, you can't do this. But um, some of you heard, yes, I was uh, silenced or unofficially censured by the speaker um, on um, whatever day that was, Friday or Saturday, I don't remember, um, because I basically said there was a big uh, Palestinian, pro-Palestinian um, thing going on, protest in, in the gallery above us, in the balcony above us in the house, and uh, went on for 35 minutes. That's not okay. Um, they're supposed to take them out of there. And, and But here's the thing. The state police and the, um, and the sergeant arms didn't do anything. They just stood there and looked at them. You say, well, they should have done something. Yeah, except the last time they did something during session is when there was a bunch of protesters about the Second Amendment. And when they took them out of there peacefully, it's all on video. When they took them out of there, they didn't hurt anybody. They didn't do anything. But the Democrats and the governor... Uh, both the Senate and the House Democrats and the governor lambasted them and said that they were um, abusive and all this other stuff. So guess what? When it happens again, they're just like, okay, you take care of it. And that's what happened. Um, and, and it was, so I just got up. And, and then the speaker told us, they said, she, she jumped on us for about four or five minutes and said, you will respect what just happened in here. It was, it was an unlawful protest inside the house. That's not, it's against the rules. It's not supposed to happen. They're waving flags and all kinds of stuff. That's, that's against the rules. And uh, she said, you will respect this. Um, you will acknowledge that this is peaceful uh, dialogue between constituents from our constituents and all that. So, so when I got up to speak, I was the next person to get up and speak. I just disagreed with that. And I said, I don't agree with what the speaker said. This was not peaceful dialogue. This was an a, a unpeaceful protest. And she shut me down and wouldn't let me speak the rest of the day. She wouldn't acknowledge me. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail with this. But here, let me get, tell you kind of what happened there. Sometimes this is what people do and they don't realize it. They've got the vice and they're cranking the vice down, trying to put pressure and to put pressure and put pressure, squeezing that vice. And then all of a sudden they look down and their finger is the one that's in the vice. That's what happened. That's all I'm going to say right now, but we've got plans about all of that. So, Because it was illegal. She wasn't allowed to do that. She, she, it was unconstitutional, some things she did. 
and so we're going to deal with that. So, um, as you've noticed, the landscaping has come along nicely. Um, we, we did go with another white blanket look uh, today. It's, um, we're going to do that off and on for the next three or four months. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're getting it done fairly uh, nicely. It looks good. All the stuff that's happening. Just a reminder, we are going to need, um, we're going to need as much money as possible in either the building fund or the savings. We're kind of balancing what that looks like right now and, and putting money in places we can try to make some money and stuff uh, to do this. Because when it comes time, end of March, early April, we need to be ready to build. And we have to have that money there. So as you're thinking about your budget for the new year or even as we're closing out this year, um, think about giving toward that. Um, you can do that online. You can do that. There's a lot of ways you can do it. So, uh, so be thinking about that. Be praying about that. We're excited about what's happening here. Um, we are going, I wanted to mention this because this, this really pumps me up. So we are going to three services um, first week of January. And I was thinking about this. So, so I was gone two weeks ago. I was not here because I was preaching at a church in Denver. I don't usually do that. I don't preach uh, other places very often. Um, I get the request, but I just don't do it. I think my responsibility is to be here um, making sure you guys are doing what you're supposed to do. So, <laughs> so, um, so I just don't do that very often. But this guy asked me a few months ago. I was speaking at a thing. So I'm traveling around the state, and I'm speaking to pastors about what does it mean to not be woke? What does it mean to be engaged? What does it mean to be a truth-speaking church um, instead of going with the flow? And that's been set up uh, by, for me by other groups. But So at one of these, a pastor came and said, would you come and speak at our church? And it really caught my spirit. I think I'm supposed to do this, which, which, like I said, it very rarely happens. In fact, I was in Texas a few days after that, I mean, uh, uh, before last weekend, at our at our uh, university board meeting, and and uh, a friend of mine riding the elevator, and and uh, he's a Hispanic guy, and and this church that I preach at in Denver is about half Hispanic, probably a little more, and and uh, I, I didn't tell him this, but but he said, so what are you preaching about Sunday? I said, well, I'm preaching at a church in Denver, and he said, I have been asking you to preach for me for 15 years. And you won't preach for me? And he said, it's because I'm Hispanic, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm telling this church, like, 60% Hispanic, I was preaching. And I was like, yeah. That's, oh, that's it. You nailed it. So, um, but the reason I'm saying that is I was, I was, I was speaking for and I wanted to tell you guys, I, I'm, really, I'm really excited about what God is doing here with us. I really am. And I think there's a couple of things that are basic. And this church... I preach that in Denver is, is very similar. They are not worried about whether or not uh, they're making friends and whether or not their church is growing. Okay? Guys, I've said this around here for years. I don't, I personally, I'm not saying for other churches. I'm saying for me and where I pastor, as long as I'm pastor here, we're not going to have a church growth plan. We're going to have a kingdom growth plan. And I was talking to this pastor. He's about 10, 15 years younger than I am. And we were just talking about this, and I told him mo- many times. We went to lunch um, at his, his mother-in-law, fixed uh, enchiladas for us. God bless us, everyone. And, um, but we sat there and talked for a long time, and I kept telling him, you're on the right path. Don't stray from this. Preach the truth. Don't shy away from the sensitive issues of society. Those are the ones that we need to hear about the most. 
Don't, don't shy away from the subject like abortion and the grooming and the LGBT and all that stuff. Stay on track because God will honor that. In all of these places I'm going around the state and, and preaching to other pastors, any other pastors that are staying focused and they're not going woke, that their churches are growing. Um, I don't think that should be your goal. That's not why you speak truth. Um, but it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting side effect is as long as we stay focused, we're going to continue to grow. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God is doing with us. And I'm excited about churches around the state that are, that are having to make a choice down there. And many of them are choosing the right path. Okay? It's not a lot compared to the whole state. But there are many churches that are saying, we're going we're gonna to take a stand. And I was just very impressed with this church in Denver and, and just their attitude and their obedience and their hunger for knowing God and his truth and that kind of thing. So, so turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> this is my post-Thanksgiving message. How many of you had pumpkin pie this week? That's it? How many of you had turkey this week? Oh, there should be way more hands for pumpkin pie than turkey. <laughs> if, if we love turkey so much, why do we only have it on Thanksgiving? Oh. You guys should think more. Think more, people. Don't just go along with the machine. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And I was thinking about this Thanksgiving. Now, not, not the holiday of Thanksgiving. Um, I'm kind of one of those old school guys that believe that when the pilgrims came um, to the eastern seaboard and, and did all the stuff that they actually got along with the Indians and had big dinners and all that kind of stuff. I know the story's been changed nowadays, and really all they did was come and slaughter everybody. That stuff's stupid. It's not true. Um, the, the traditional Thanksgiving stories are actually true. And so, you know, if, if you think that way or saying something like that, do your homework first because it sounds really goofy to people that actually know what the truth is. Um, get truth, that kind of thing. But I'm going to talk about being thankful and thanksgiving, not um, what we celebrate. Our, our pastor in India, I'm leaving tomorrow morning for India, and our pastor there, I was telling him this last week, I talked to him every week, and I said, well, this is a holiday. It's called Thanksgiving. He said, well, what is it? I was like, Turkey, <laughs> right? I had to think about what that means. And I think one of the coolest things that we have a, a, an ability, I guess you could say, I think this is a major thing, is that you have the ability to be grateful. You have the ability to be thankful. That's something we're losing. Yep. Have, you, have you processed that any? I mean, there's a lot of things culturally. Our, our country has changed a lot in the last 10 to 20 years. But we're losing this mentality of being grateful. We've replaced it with um, being enabled, that uh, we're replaced it being, with being entitled, with being um, selfish, very, very self-focused. Uh, what does it mean to truly be grateful? For I want to give you some basic foundation stuff that I think this is, this is like Christianity 101. This is, this is kind of some of the things that we're supposed to have as our foundation, but I don't think we think about some of this. But let me start, before I jump in the meat of it, let me start... The meat of it. See what I did there? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be holy people, this, this is important. This opening few sin, uh, words here are very important. God chose you. That's one of the things we're going to pray about as we get to the end of this. I, I know that there are people in here right now that you don't really believe down in your core. You don't really believe that God chose you. That God 
chose you. As Jeremiah chapter 1 says, that while you were still in the womb, God chose you and set you apart. Sanctified you is the terminology, is the, is the King James. But it means to be set apart. That God set you apart to be a voice of prophecy for him, a voice of prophecy to the nations. God chose you. God knew you before the foundations of the world. There's a bunch of stuff that goes along with this. But that God chose you. If, if you don't grab onto that, it really messes up a lot of the rest of the gospel. He chose you. We, we say things like, um, when we get saved, we say, well, uh, you know, I found the Lord. Like, like he was hiding somewhere or something. I don't know. But, but he's been standing right there your whole life, and he chose you. He chose you before you were born. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that you automatically get to heaven. You have to choose him back. That's, that's what sanctification means. That's how sanctification becomes holiness um, and righteousness is you choose him back. But the Lord chose you. Where did he choose you? He chose you to be the people he loves. Man, that's a, that's a great sentence. He loves you. He chose, he chose that about you. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You choose those things. That's the part you choose. He chooses you, and he says, I love you. Now, what do you, how do you respond? You respond by trying to serve him. You respond by submitting to him, surrendering to him. This is where holiness comes in. Another thing that we've really left in the church today, this idea that I want to pursue the Lord and I want to pursue his pursuits. I want to pursue the things that are about him. I want to pursue his word and I want to be holy. Why? As Peter said, be holy because the Lord is holy. So we pursue the Lord. These are, these are the things that we choose uh, or we choose not to. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. That's a big statement. That's a few little words that, man, you can spend a lifetime trying to work on that. Specifically, depending on your baggage and all the stuff of life. But he says, look, Jesus forgave you. Are, are, you, are you bigger, better than anybody else? Well, you don't know what they did. I understand that. I understand the feeling and the stuff that goes along with this. But the Lord's pretty clear about this, and he does not compromise anywhere in his, in his words We've got to forgive others. Amen. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so we must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. This is, this is the, the love that the Lord starts this. We, we don't start love. God starts love. That's right. And, and I, I mean, that's in a general sense. And I didn't just mean uh, according to each individual issue, like, well, I love here, or love here. But the Lord is love. He starts this whole thing called love. That is, that is not a normal human thing, right? You know, well, we love little puppies and things like that. And yeah, but puppies are easy to love compared to people, right? I mean, that's, that's real. Um, puppies, puppies will love you no matter what you do to them. People, man, it's rough. It's difficult. I would, I heard this one time, I would never agree with this, okay, this is way outside of who I am, but I heard this one time, this shows you what love really is, if you put your wife and a dog in a trunk of a car, come back an hour later and open the trunk, who loves you, <laughs> so, 
And that is not okay, people. Am I right? That is not okay. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. That's difficult sometimes, guys. It just is. As human beings, it's difficult to live in peace. And specifically when pretty much every area of society is doing everything they can to stir up dissension, disagreement, distrust. Trying to pit people against each other. People groups. Um, socioeconomic categories. Trying to pit people, pit people. In a way that I did not see when I was a kid. A way that I did not see when I was growing up and even as a, as a young adult. Our society is going at each other in ways that is, in fact, I really believe, I might be wrong about this, I don't think I just started paying attention because I was paying attention before this. I think this started when uh, Obama became president. I think he worked at this. I think that was part of his plan. And, uh, and it's gotten pretty bad. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Shouldn't, shouldn't that be like on the tip of your tongue, the message of Christ? Shouldn't that be our foundation? Shouldn't it be our thought process? The message of Christ. When you're at work, the message of Christ. When, when your friends are going through difficulties, the message of Christ. Uh, anything that's happening, the message of Christ. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns are things that are written by other people. You realize spiritual songs are things that you create. They're just spiritual songs. Something that flows from you. You ever tried this? This is not our culture in American church, by the way, okay? Like some of the way out there charismatics, maybe. We're not that. We're Pentecostal. We're so much better than the charismatics. But, but, but this is something that's not, it's not part of our culture. This is um, part of cultures around the world, but it's not part of our culture where you just sing to God whatever's in your heart. Just sing it out loud. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't want anybody to hear it. Well, we may not want to either. Do it when you're alone. But sing it out. Just whatever God's put in your heart, practice that. Do that. When you're, when you're driving down the car, nowadays, back in the day, I used to do this, people would stare at me. Nowadays, they th assume you're talking on the phone. Just sing to God. Just whatever's in your heart, just sing it. Try it. You'd be amazed at what God can do with that. You'd be amazed how he can change you through this. Sing psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. I, I have to constantly remind myself of that, specifically when I go to the Capitol. I am representing Jesus. I know truth, and I understand common sense, and I know how the law works, blah, 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 blah. But in all of those things, I am supposed to be representing Jesus, not just speaking what I think is right. Even if I am right, you still ought to be careful because you're representing God. I don't represent the Republican Party. But here, here's a newsflash for somebody that may not know this. The only reason I'm a Republican is because all the other options are horrible. It's not because the Republicans have got it all going on. They don't. I wish there was a Christian conservative constitutional party. Probably part of that. Right? But I represent Jesus. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't represent me. I don't represent a local church. I, I've had some of you, and I understand what you're saying. I'm not picking on it. Say, hey, remember you're representing Church of Briargate up there. Guys, there's a much bigger subject than that. 
I'm representing Jesus. I'm going to embarrass you guys to death, but I'm representing Jesus. <laughs> so four things. I think these are basic things, but, but some of you may not have processed, really thought through. So the first one, and this is what we're thankful for, at least I am, is that God revealed himself to us. You, you realize he didn't have to do that. This has always been a thing. I, I, I thought about this the first time I began to put this and process this in my head was when I was a teenager. God didn't have to tell us he was there. Did you know that? Well, he's walking and talking with Adam and Eve, right? But, but after they sin and he um, bans them from the garden, he didn't have to interact with human beings anymore. In fact, the fact that he just didn't kill them right then, right? Isn't that pretty graceful? But, but he didn't have to tell, you know, they could go out and say, hey, we used to be in this place called the Garden of Eden. And, um, and God walked and talked with us. And, and it was their word against what? But see, God actually told us the story that Adam and Eve were telling. Adam and, Lee, Adam and Eve lived up uh, almost until the time of Noah, like the generation before Noah is when they died. Everybody knew the truth of God. They were telling them. But then God does this amazing thing. He comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I, I want you to write down the story. And so Moses starts back over at in the beginning. And he begins to write the story, the details of the story. And this was from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There was, I'm sure there was still a lot of knowledge that was floating around because of the truth of what Adam and Eve had spoke for quite a few hundred years. That kind of becomes part of the culture, right? But then Moses begins to write the story down. You know, God did not have to do that. We have the Bible today. God did not have to give us this book. He didn't have to give us the instructions. I hear people say things like all the time, well, you know, it's hard being a parent. There's not an instruction manual. There is. It's called the Bible. There isn't. Well, there's not an instruction manual to marriage. There is. It's the Bible. God didn't have to give us the Bible, but he did. And here's the cool thing is he has all these guys write this down. And one of the things that the Dead Sea Scrolls taught us um, you know, as they're, and they're, by the way, they're still unpacking uh, and uncovering some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of them they've kept and they're not doing because when they open it up, the words disappear because of the type of ink and that kind of thing that they use hitting oxygen. Same thing with the terracotta soldiers. That's all I'll tell you. I saw those in person, so I know what I'm talking about. But you have to look that up if you want to know what I just said. But um, some of it they still haven't even unpacked because they don't have an, the ability, the technology yet, to unpack it in such a way that it doesn't destroy it. Laser technology is helping now. They can actually read through the stuff. But, but you know the cool thing about the, the, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls? Is it showed us that, that what we have as the Word of God is amazingly accurate. Amazingly accurate. Way more accurate than translations of books from just three or four hundred years ago. Think about that. And God begins to, to tell us the story and unfold all the people and all the stuff. And then about two-thirds through this story, God then says, okay, now 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring to conclusion this part, and I'm going to set us on the path that we were supposed to be in the garden. And he says, I'm going to set us back on the path toward that, that uh, relationship with God. And he writes himself into the story. That's absolutely amazing to me. But not only does he just write himself in his story, and John chapter 1 says that, that, um, that the word, Jesus, became flesh so that we could see the glory of God, so we could behold the glory of God. But here's the glory of God. It's not just him doing the miracles and doing this stuff. The, re- the reality of the glory of God is that God would, would uh, incarnate, be incarnated, voluntarily take on human flesh so that they could kill him so then he could forgive our sins by, the, by his death. Who writes that kind of story? Who writes a story that puts himself as the martyr in the middle of that story? And he doesn't even do it for himself. He does it for us. You realize God didn't have to do any of this? He didn't have to tell us. When I pray, I pray for food. People oftentimes think I'm joking when I say this. I'm not joking. When I pray for my food, one of the things I say fairly consistently is, God, thank you for making it taste good. Have you ever thought about that? He did not have to give you taste buds. That one, that one sends a shiver down my spine. <laughs> right? Think about, think about Thanksgiving just now. All the stuff that you tasted. Right? If I didn't have taste buds, I'd be a very thin fellow. <laughs> but he didn't have to give us taste buds. He didn't have, there's so many things. Here's one that you may never process. This is a big one for me. You realize that God did not have to give us music? He didn't have to give us beauty, right? Think about this. Specifically for you you that are married, remember the first time you saw him, saw her? I think maybe, I'm a guy, so for me, I think this is more for guys than it is girls. I just don't know if girls look at guys and just go, oh, man, that dude is so good looking. I mean, maybe sometimes, but for guys... That's all we think about, how pretty our wife is. I think about that all the time. And as Linda and I get older, I realize that I am getting older at a much quicker rate than she is. Anybody else notice that? Thank you. But, but God didn't have to do that stuff. He didn't have to do any of this stuff. But he does. And this is the part that I don't think we get is the very center of this concept of revelation, the very center of this concept is that God revealed himself to you and I. That's the biggest thing. He didn't have to do that. Could have just started. This is what deism is. You know, a lot of the uh, writers of the Constitution and stuff like that were accused of being deists and stuff like that, and, and many were. But do you realize if you take deism from that definition at that time frame and move it to now, they'd be some of the best Christians alive? Amen. But deism basically means God started it, backed off, and waited for it to finish, and he doesn't interact with us. Then what do you do with scriptures that says, before the foundations of the world, I knew you? That I know the, the, I have numbered, not just know, but I've numbered the hairs on your head. My, my number is getting smaller. It's easier for the Lord. He's got it in a new category. 
But, but, but when he says things like that, and then he says when a sparrow falls from the nest, that, that, God, that we are more important to God than that, and he knows when the sparrow falls. We, we take for granted so much stuff that we should be being thankful for. God revealed himself to us. Let me, let me show you this. In Isaiah 43, verse 10, he says, But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. Now, this is about Israel, but as Christians, we get to be grafted in, right? This is why I know there's still stuff. You know, the news hasn't been talking much about Israel now and all this kind of, kind of quieting down by, by intention, by, I believe, though. Um, the media in America doesn't like Israel. But here's the reality. The, the Jewish people are God's people. It doesn't matter whether you like that or not. It's what it is. They are God's chosen people. And the best that we can be as Christians is grafted in, adopted into this thing. Right? Don't ever let somebody tell you that the church has replaced the Jewish people. We have not. We are adopted. We're grafted. Now, the, and, and here's the thing, with all of this stuff in the Middle East, the reason that people, the, and forever, the reason the Nazis hated the Jews, the reason everybody hates the Jews is because they, they look like their dad. Spiritually, I mean, physically, I guess, at some level. But I'm talking, they're created in God's image. They're God's chosen kids. That's the truth. And no matter who hates them, who attacks them, who tries to, to annihilate them or whatever, they are God's chosen people and they will not be successful. They're God's chosen people. That's how simple it is. We, we get to be part of this, but look what he says to him. So we get, to, we get to own this too. He says, you are my servant. You have been chosen to know me and believe in me. And understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. We, we in the church are struggling with this right now. A couple years ago, I read a statistic to you that Christian millennials, Christian, and, and I'm not picking on millennials, it's just this was the group they asked. Christian millennials, almost 70% of Christian millennials believe that it is not okay to witness to somebody of a different religious mentality. If God is God and there's only one God, then that means all the other religions are wrong. I know that makes me very divisive nowadays. But guys, this is truth and this is vital truth because if you believe that all the other options are just as legitimate, then first, I really question your personal walk with Jesus and definitely your ability to read God's Word. But second, and this is a big one, is you are helping enable those people to believe that they're okay and they're going to end up in hell because of that. Because there is only one God, and the only way you can get to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. That's true. That means, and I believe this, that means every other religion is wrong. You say, well, that's... That's pretty arrogant, except for one thing. I didn't write it. I just believe it. So, so the best you can accuse me of is a sycophant, not arrogant. All right, so there is no other God, and I love this last little part. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. That's reality. So the first thing, God tells us he's there. He reveals himself. Second thing. God created us in his image. 
I, I absolutely love this because he didn't have to do this either. Now, I believe that that means physically we're creating his image at some level too. But I believe of all of the ways that you want to process this and analyze this, I believe that physically is the least and the least important. Okay? It's spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all these other things that God has created in his, in his image. Now, this is, this is why it's important to say we're special. You are not the top of the animal kingdom. I was taught this all my time in school. We that human beings are the, the top of the animal kingdom. You are not the top of the animal kingdom. There is the animal kingdom, and then there are people which are made in the image of God. Animals were not made in the image of God. People are. Animals do not have God's spirit breathed into them. People do. Animals do not have the ability to accept Jesus as their Savior. People do. We've got to lose some of the stuff that we were taught and that we just kind of, you know, second nature kind of accept. As, as people, we're the center of this whole thing. That's why when you put all the emphasis on this, this little frog that's, ex, that's going extinct or something, and we're going to shut all the human stuff down for this. I sat and listened to representatives on the House floor this last session talk about human beings are the problem with the planet. I, there is no reason for the planet without humans. But there are people that believe this. There are people that literally believe this, that we're like, a, um, we're like an evolved um, um, disease or an evolved uh, some kind of um, problem. Can't think of the term. That we're the ones that are, that we're the ones that are plaguing the planet. As there, is, there is no reason for the planet. God created the planet to put us on. It's the only reason the planet exists, to put us there, right? You are created in the image of God. You are special. God designed you specifically and, and, and for purpose. I know I, I say this a lot, but I don't think as human beings we get this that much. I don't think we understand this. You are divinely created by God for specific reason and purpose. And the, and the specific reason and purpose, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing a lot of this through the, the, the new year, is really trying to focus on and help us focus on. Because you, your purpose is not just going to work and earning a paycheck so you can buy a new car or something like that. Your purpose is divine. Your purpose is supernatural. Your purpose is transcendent. Now, do you, do you still have to go to work every day? Yes. But you have to understand there's a lot. That's, that's a, a thing you do that opens the door for all the purpose. That there are people at your workplace that need you to be led by the Holy Spirit for the purpose you were created. Because that's the only way they're going to get to heaven. Is if you step into your purpose. The, the only way that we can be who we're supposed to be is if you step into the purpose that God has created you for. And it's not just a thing. It's constantly, it's always evolving. It's always evolving. I have people say to me, well, you, you know what your purpose is. It's being a pastor. That doesn't make sense. That's, that's a calling. It's part of my calling. But that is, that's an overarching title that includes so much that is my purpose every day. Different. And then God throws a wrench in there and says, now I want you to go to the Capitol. I'm like, that's, he goes, purpose, ah, oh, got me. <laughs> right? 
There's all this stuff that God wants to do with you and use you for and get you to say and go. And, and he created you in his image <clears throat> for design, for specifics. This is, this is vital for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> Instead, let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. How often do you have to do that? Constantly. Constantly. Renew your thoughts and attitudes. He's got to constantly be doing that. And you say, well, no, I'm doing pretty good. I don't have, it's not that big of a thing. For, for, for some of you sitting in here that, that are married, the person sitting beside you can make this a reality for you in about 10 seconds. Am I right? Your thoughts are good. Your attitude's good. Life is going good. And then they say something and you're like, You've got to constantly be renewing your thoughts. You go to work, you've got to constantly be renewing your thoughts. You go online, you've got to constantly be renewing your thoughts. It's amazing to me how many things are designed on our computers to trap us, to hurt us. And people do this knowingly. Just, it's constantly renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. What is the new nature? This is, it's, it's interesting how the verbiage works here. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Now, this is interesting because your new nature in Christ Jesus is, is so that you will pursue God and try to be more like Christ. That's the definition of the word Christian, Christ-like, be more like Jesus. So your new nature is to be like Christ, more like Christ than you were before because your old nature wants to be like the world. It's your sin nature. And Satan is, is constantly trying to drag you down into that sin nature. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. Your new nature to be like Christ is, is the thought process came from where? What you used to be before the fall. Adam and Eve had the like Christ mentality. They were walking and talking with him. They were hanging out with him. The only thing when Satan says to them, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, do you, do you want to know both good and evil? Eve's answer should have been, well, I've already got good. Why do I need evil? She already had 100% good. What happens when you add that much darkness and junk and, and, and perversion and sin and all that stuff is it just diminishes the good in that individual. Not God's transcendent good, but it, but it mars it. That's why sin and, and, and things that attack us, that we give into temptation, that's why they're so bad and dangerous for us because they are, they are diminishing. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 says, that I'm, my life is like looking through spiritually. It's like looking through a, 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 a cloudy glass. Because why? You're, do you realize your eyes have the ability to see angels and God and all that stuff? They're the same eyes Adam and Eve had. But now sin has clouded them. It's like spiritual cataracts. Now we can't see everything. Your eyes still work the same way, but spiritually you can't see it. Because why? Sin. So when Eve said, when Eve said yes to sin, what did she do? She added on something that became our old nature. But what is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to bring us back into relationship. That's what righteousness is, is the covering of the blood of Christ to bring us back into re relationship with it. We have been redeemed, bought back. 
redeemed to what? What God had originally designed in the garden. So when he says put on your new nature, we're actually jumping back 6,000, 10,000 years. We're jumping backwards to how God originally wanted us to be. That has not changed. His plan from the beginning has not changed. We just messed it up and derailed it for a while. But the blood of Jesus begins... This is why, this is why I'm kind of going off a little bit here, but this is why um, Adam is called the first Adam and Jesus is called the second Adam. Because what Adam began in a downward trajectory into sin... Jesus, the second Adam, is bringing us back out. And the reason he uses the term second Adam is to tie us right back to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. God created us and put us in the garden for what purpose? To marry Christ. And we've messed that up. And it's taken us about 8,000 years to figure this out. Well, 6,000, but that's another subject. So... So he says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, right with God and holy. And those are different things, by the way. The church mixes those up too much. Righteous, we are all the same when it comes to righteousness. You know that? If you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you're righteous. You're made right with God. You're right in God. You can't have more righteousness or less. Holiness is is unique to all of us. You choose how holy you're going to be. God doesn't choose that. God chooses to make you righteous, then you choose whether or not you're going to pursue him. That's holiness. We're, none of us in here are the same when it comes to holiness. We're all the same when it comes to righteous. Right? Study that. If that one's bothering you a little bit, study that. That's, that's some good study stuff. So I just included verse 25 because I like it. So stop telling lies. <clears throat> Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. There's a whole list of stuff in Ephesians here that goes down through. God says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Because why? We are choosing whether or not we're going to respond to him. The third thing, God loves us unconditionally. I, I've mentioned this before, but this is uh, about nine months ago, ten months ago, I was watching a video of... Um, Dennis Prager. I really like Dennis Prager. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I like Dennis Prager a lot. I like his Prager U videos. I like the uh, two or three people that do interviews for his, for his programs, and I love his fireside chats. I've always liked his fireside chats. Um, but on one of his fireside chats, he said this, and it really bothered me. Now, the reason that he said this is because he is Jewish. He is not a Christian. You say, does that really matter? It matters a lot. Um, first, it matters eternally because he does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? But it also matters in his worldview. Everything about how he thinks and processes, his worldview does not have Jesus in that concept. But he said on his, on his fireside chat, he said he does not believe in this idea of unconditional love. He said the American church came up with that. That is not a biblical thing. And he says you can't find it in the Bible. Now, I think he was talking about the New Testament. Well, he was talking about both. But not only is it all through the New Testament, it's actually all through the Old Testament too. Here's a simple, here's a simple way to get there quickly. The fact that there are still humans is proof that God has something called unconditional love for us. Am I right? 
right? Just drop down, just like parachute anywhere into the Old Testament. You'll go about one chapter on each side, and God should have killed them. Should have obliterated them, destroyed them. Why didn't God kill Adam and Eve? And here's another thing. Why, why did God rescue Noah at the end of the flood? Because that's the closest we've ever gotten, right? He destroyed everybody but Noah. And I'll tell you something that I think is pretty interesting here. I don't have time to go into that. But he, he doesn't destroy Noah. And the reason Noah is on the ark is because Noah is a righteous man, right? It says that. And then he lets Noah bring his family on. But his family are not righteous. It never says that. And they prove very quickly they're not. But here's the thing. Go to the end of the flood when Noah gets off the ark and just read a handful of chapters after that. Noah wasn't doing so good either. He's the redemptive plan for humanity. The guy he's going to rescue. And he does some very bad things. The first thing he does is he gets drunk. And nothing good comes after that. Read it. Why doesn't he kill the whole earth many times over? Unconditional love. What scripture calls um, perfect love, everlasting love, these are all the same terms. But he loves you. Why, why has he not destroyed you? You say, well, I'm a good person. You weren't pointing that at me, were you? Okay. Okay, good, good. I mean, think about how long do you have to go in your world to to realize "Mm, you really got some things to work on, right? Well, I'm 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 doing this purely to prove a point and not to condemn us, but it's going to do that a little bit. Okay. We talk about things like, um, well, like Hamas attacking Israel and how dare they do that and. And that was, that's genocide. People are referring it back to genocide of World War II, Nazism, and all that stuff. And those are legitimate parallels. Okay, I don't think those are off the chart uh, difficult parallels. But here's the problem. We have, a, we have a bigger genocide going on in our country every single day by murdering babies. You say, yeah, and we stand against that. But guys, here's where it gets difficult for us. There's a difference between saying, I stand against it, and actually doing something about it. Doing something about it. You say, what can I do? This is something I'm going to try to give us more opportunities to, to like, get involved, sign petitions, do all kinds. Is that the petition back there, Leslie? Is that? Okay. Uh, Leslie has a petition. You want to you get involved? There's going to be a, is that, for, is that for the ballot initiative? Okay. Okay. Um, this is, this is for a ballot initiative that's going to come up next November to take to make um, uh, basically a personhood initiative. All right? I, I know a little bit about it. I helped write some of it. But th- this is something that is it's being done by one of our pro-life groups. Do you realize there's other pro-life groups that are coming out against this? Guys, let me tell you a dirty little secret about abortion. There's a lot of pro-life groups around Colorado and our country right now that they say, yes, we want, to make a, we want to make abortion illegal, but we don't ever want to punish the mother. Now, I know there's a big heartstring pull here. Hey, guys, the only reason there is an abortion is because a mother 
decided. Now, I do know there are some instances where mothers are coerced by pimps and stuff. I get that. I get that. But somewhere, if it's not illegal to the main person, but illegal to everybody else, you'll never going to stop it. Never. And we're just going to keep murdering babies because we can't actually draw a line in the sand and say it is murder. And everybody that's involved is the murderers. Do you understand how important this is? But we say, well, yeah, I stand. You know, I do all this kind of... Because when do we actually just take a stand on something? I mean, literally take a stand and say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get engaged somehow. I'm going to get involved. I've been saying this forever, but things like running for school boards and, and city council and things like that, get involved. Run for your HOA. Do something. Get on some group where you can have a voice and you can begin to uh, connect with people. What about parent-teacher organizations? Get involved in those. I, I say that with a very guilty conscience. I never went to one that I remember, not one parent-teacher anything. I just didn't, whatever. And I, and I was wrong. Do, do something. The Lord loves us unconditionally, but he doesn't expect us to be lazy in that. He doesn't expect us to be selfish in that. But he does love us unconditionally. And I do disagree with Dennis Prager here. First, uh, first John chapter 4, verse 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love, that's another way to say unconditional love or love from Christ, because Christ is really the only one that has perfect love, but we're supposed to emulate that, right? Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. The only reason I have the ability to love you, at, I mean at core levels. Again, this comes back to not loving you to me, not loving you so you like me, but actually loving you to Christ, is because Christ started this whole thing. He did it. Jeremiah chapter 31, just so that we know this is an Old Testament mentality too. Uh, verse 3, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. That's the only reason we're all still here. With unfailing love, everlasting and unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And the fourth thing, Jesus makes me free. Makes me free. Not like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I go into it when I'm doing town halls, and I've spoken on the floor about this, the concept of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I may do that as a sermon sometime, but how all of that works and that these are God-given things. Human beings cannot give other humans life. They can only take it away. You cannot create life. God lets you co-create with him, but you, you didn't really do a lot, right? But he lets us co-create, but we didn't actually bring life. You, you, the only thing that, that when it comes to liberty, freedom, liberty, government cannot give you freedoms. There's not one freedom the government can give you. You're born with those freedoms. The only thing the government can do is take them away from you. Government, same thing with material goods. You realize the government doesn't make or create anything. They only take your money away from you when you do it. Okay? John chapter 8. I believe strongly in truth. Life, liberty, pursuit, happiness. I believe those are profound truths. 
but all truth. Do you realize that even if I don't have liberty, because there's countries all over the world where they don't have liberty, but you know what? They can still be free and they can still have truth. It's just not physical freedom. In China, I watched this happen where there was this group of Chinese people and there was a North Korean that had come in to talk to me, actually. That's why they were there. And I got to talk with them and the Chinese people were so awed by the North Korean people that had come, two North Koreans that had come to talk to them. And I'm just sitting in the room like, why am I even here? It's like an ant being amongst angels. The Chinese people were looking at them like, I've only been arrested five times. They've been arrested 25 times and they you know, been beaten almost to the point of death so many times. These are literally the things that were truth at that moment. You know, those people are free. In fact, I saw more freedom and peace and truth in them than I've seen in most Americans. We have liberty, but we don't necessarily have freedom in our spirit, freedom to know God and just be who God has told us to be. We're so constricted. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Guys, that's where liberty comes from. That's where true freedom comes from, is the teachings of God. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the freedom I want. And, and we struggle with that in America. But I want to be free like that. Why don't you stand with me? God, we submit ourselves to you right now. Lord, I submit this moment to you that you're the king and I am not. That you're the savior. You're our redeemer. Lord, we need you. We just need you, Jesus. Lord, help us to help us to get that. Lord, the this 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 progression. Lord, help us to realize that you chose us. You revealed yourself to us, but it's because you chose us. And you chose us to know you and to believe in you. You chose us to serve you and to be free in you. God, help us to get this, to embrace this. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, you're the only one that can do this that you open our minds and our spirits and you help us to know, to know completely right now that, that we were chosen by you and we were chosen to know you and to believe in you, that we were chosen to serve you and that we were chosen to be free in you. And Lord, you gave us the ability to know you, all the truth that is you. God, help us to choose you back. Holy Spirit, you've got to do this. I want you to keep your head bowed. I want to, I want to ask you this. Do you know, and I want to go through the list, do you know that the Lord chose you? Do you know you were created by him for purpose do you know that he chose you to know him and to believe in him do you know that you were chosen to serve him do you know that the Lord will give you freedom right now 
Freedom in your spirit, in your mind. Freedom in your life. Freedom from the junk that Satan tries to mess with you with. So any of the things on this list, go through it again. That the Lord chose you. That he chose you to know him and to believe in him. And he chose you in his image to serve him. He chose you to be free. He chose you to be free. You say, I'm struggling with maybe one of those, maybe all of those. My experience is most people struggle with the first, kind of out the gate. Do I know that I know Jesus chose me? You say, I'm struggling with one of those or more of those or whatever, I'd like you just to raise your hand. Keep your hand up. We're going to pray about this. But to say, I'm struggling with this. Do I know that the Lord has chosen me? Do I know that he's chosen me to know him and believe in him? Do I know that I'm created in his image and he's chosen me to serve him? And do I know that he's chosen me to be free? You say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with some of that. Put your hand up. Don't put it back down. I I want to pray for you with your hand up. All right, put your hand up, keep it up, and we're going to pray. God, you see you see our hands, but Lord, more importantly, you know in our hearts, not just that we may be struggling with some of this, but you know why. You know why. So Lord, I ask you to go there. Why we struggle with this. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you break through everything. Whatever issues, whatever baggage, whatever shell, stronghold that has has worked its way becomes strong in our life. Holy Spirit, you break through all this stuff. Break through. And help us to realize right now, Jesus, you chose me. Just like I am, you chose me. You chose me to change me, to grow me, to mature me. Lord, you chose me to know you and to believe in you. Holy Spirit, you've got to do this in this room. You've got to do this. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, don't let anybody leave here that they haven't they haven't let you address this in their world and their life. Lord, I declare it to myself and I declare it out loud. You chose me. You chose me. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you've got to do this. Lord, I pray specifically through this week. Just keep just keep pushing this into our minds, into our spirit, that you chose us. That Jesus had the opportunity to serve the King of everything. Have the opportunity to serve the Redeemer of the whole world. The Savior of the whole world. I thank you for that. 
So to be thinking about this this week, be processing, what does this mean? What does this mean for you to say these things to you personally? Process this. When you're wavering a little this week, ask the Lord to help you with it. Talk to God about it. If you're struggling with this stuff, talk to God about it. He'll help you with this. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can, and God will honor that in your life. Go ahead, Rick.